from PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we speak to pastor and author Catherine Willis Pershey about her new book, Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. In a culture and a church rife with romantic myths about happily ever after, we have a frank conversation about the daily work of making a marriage and a life together. Stay tuned. Before we begin the show, I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about a new podcast from my friend, the Reverend Kat Banakas. It's called The Holy, Holy Podcast, and each episode, Kat takes this big question like dying or careers or how to be single and Christian, and she talks about it with experts from across the nation, sometimes from across the world, and then at the end of the show, she puts it to a three-person panel that includes a representative of the Muslim faith, the Jewish faith, and the Christian faith. It's always a fantastic conversation. I always learn something when I listen to it, and I just love the fact that she's doing it. So I hope that you'll take a look for the Holy Holy Podcast. You can find it through iTunes. You can find it at holyholypodcast.com. You can also find it through our website, csec.org. So that's the Holy Holy Podcast with the Reverend Kat Banakas. Give it a listen. I know, I know you're going to love it. Thanks. Okay, here we go with the show. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with the Reverend Catherine Willis Pershey. You may recall that we spoke to her in 2012 when she had a book out called Any Day, A Beautiful Change. She's the Associate Minister of the First Congregational Church in Western Springs, Illinois, and her work has appeared in The Christian Century, The Art of Simple, and the anthology Disquiet Time. She and her husband, Benjamin, have two daughters, and they live there in Western Springs, Illinois. We're talking today about her new book, Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. Catherine willis Percy, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you so much for having me. So when we spoke last time about Any Day a Beautiful Change, you, you had written that book about being a parent and having children. But you also found that in writing about being a parent and and having children, you found yourself also drawn into the orbit of writing a lot about your marriage. Do I have that right? Yes, I accidentally wrote a couple of chapters about marriage. At the time, those chapters were very candid Mm -hmm. about the fact that while your marriage was a successful one, there were some rocky points. Mm -hmm. And, And I wonder, walk us through the process of getting from those couple of chapters in Any Day a Beautiful Change into the book that we now have before us, Very Married. At the time of writing Any Day a Beautiful Change, we were still struggling. Uh, and I – we had come a long way in our marriage, um, but we certainly had not come to the place where we are now. I remember very distinctly receiving the box of books uh, and being so excited about it. And then like that very day, we had it out, I had another big argument. And I, I felt, you know, I'm making a liar of myself as if we've figured this all out. Not that I 
indicated that entirely. But, you know, there was there's always the impetus to tie things up with a bow. And there might have been a little bow, not a big bow, but a little bow on the primary chapter about marriage and any day of beautiful change. So when I started writing Very Married, it became an opportunity to, instead of only accidentally write about marriage, incidentally write about marriage, to really delve into some of what made our marriage so difficult in the first years, and then um, even more importantly, some of the ways that we found our way out of that. Obviously, a much more extended reflection on marriage. And so... Yeah, it was, I was grateful for the opportunity. I did not set out to write this book. I was invited to write it after I published an initial chapter in the Christian Century. And at first it seemed a little too daunting, but I'm, I'm glad that I decided to do it. I worried that it would actually weaken our marriage to write about it, but it really felt that the process of writing about it made our marriage stronger. And you write very frankly about the struggles that you've had, and you're married to Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Benjamin, has he given his blessing to this process of sort of of bringing your process to the to the to the public or has he does he wince or kind of what is his reaction as you write candidly about your marriage? He has given me his blessing. I wouldn't be writing about it if I didn't have his blessing. He was the really the first one to say you should write about us. He knew that there was something powerful and redemptive about our story, even in the midst of what felt like an unredeemed chapter in our story. He said that during the process of writing my first book, you should write about us. And he did obviously give me his blessing to write this book. Personally, I cannot think of anything more terrifying than to allow somebody else to tell my story. That I couldn't be in his shoes and his graciousness in letting me tell our story is really something that I deeply I'm very grateful for and deeply respect about him. The one quibble he had is he thought I made it sound like he was actually a John Mellencamp fan. We went on our first date the night after he'd gone to a John Mellencamp concert, and he was like, you need to make it clear that I just had free tickets, okay? I don't want people to think that I'm – he's really more of a Bob Dylan fan. So given how how much – I don't think the book is overly revelatory, but there are certainly moments where neither of us look particularly good. I found it slightly hilarious that the one thing he struggled with was the mischaracterization musically. And speaking of music, we've talked about this in in the interview from 2012 as well. Poetry and music are very central to, it seems to me, the way that you kind of process and think about the world and your place in the world. If I'm remembering correctly from the book – you first met your husband, Ben, in a poetry class? Yes. And then also, Any Day a Beautiful Change, if I recall, that's a, a line from a song by the Innocence Mission, and we, we share that love of the Innocence Mission. And so it seems as if there's a lyricism and a poetry that animates a lot of kind of how you think about the world. But I wonder, how does lyricism and poetry equate to marriage? Is there an analogy there? Is there something there that we can take away that that helps us understand the structure of a marriage? I think the thing about poetry that is so powerful to me, and certainly, I mean, you think about music and how many great love songs have been written and and love songs that aren't all, you know, roses and and, and happiness, but, but difficult love songs. There's an there's a, an emotional honesty in poetry and music and an ability to sort of 
pare down to the essential truth. I think that listeners who think that they would not be interested in yet another marriage book that is sort of coming out of the how-to tradition might be interested to know that it. I do think it's probably more formed by the literary and poetic tradition than the self-help realm, that that genre isn't really where it's coming from. And part of that is just also an openness to the beauty in everyday life. And I think that's another thing that poetry taps into in a way that you miss if you aren't tuned into the possibilities that poetry offers. Am I, am I hearing correctly in your answer that you see marriage to be sort of a narrative process? It's a story that two people are kind of telling together as opposed to, and you contrasted that to self-help. So what would be the difference between sort of a self-help philosophy of marriage and a more narrative literary thought about marriage? Well, just to be clear, I'm not I'm not really anti-self-help. And I think there's some excellent books about marriage that do come from that tradition. And certainly seeking help in the form of marriage counseling, you know, talking with with mentors in marriage, all of those things are are important pieces that help you tell a better story with your through your marriage. But yes, absolutely. I do think that uh, there's that's a that's a beautiful metaphor for marriage that it's it's telling a story together. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Catherine Willis Pershy. She's Associate Minister of the First Congregational Church in Western Spring, Illinois. You may recall that we spoke to her in 2012 when she had a book out called Any Day, A Beautiful Change, and her work has appeared in The Christian Century, The Art of Simple, and the anthology Disquiet Time. She and her husband, Benjamin, have two daughters, and they live there in Western Springs, Illinois, and she's just come out with a new book called Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. So you're a pastor, and you also now are, can we say, a newly established author, because now it's not just a one-hit wonder, but you actually have come back as a repeat performer. And this book, in some ways, has been a step up. And if I may, uh, you had a, Eugene Peterson got involved in the book as well, writing the foreword to the book. Yes. And could you talk to us about that process? How did Peterson get involved in, and did you have any interaction with him about kind of what he thought of the book besides what he put on the page? Yes. Uh, several years ago, in 2009, I, I went to a workshop at the Collegeville Institute writing in the pastoral life. And it was a time in my life where I was actually contemplating leaving pastoral ministry. And after that week, it was a renewal of both my vocation as a pastor and my vocation as a writer. And I came out of that week with the understanding that I, I could never be one or the other, that I was both. Um, those are just intertwined vocations for me. And it, that was really when I discerned that it was probably time to change my ministry position, but not to actually leave ministry. And Eugene Peterson was the, the teacher that week. It was a phenomenal week. And I I don't actually think that he would remember me from that week necessarily, but it was through that connection. I sent him a, a handwritten letter with, with a portion of the manuscript and just sort of made the bold ask if he would consider this. I knew that he was writing and teaching less these days, but uh, he, I was on my way home from the grocery store with my girls in the back seat and my phone was ringing and I don't pick up the phone in the car, but I saw that the call was coming from Montana. And I just, I mean, that's where Eugene Peterson lives and nobody else is going to be calling from me, me from Montana right now. And I drove home sort of white-knuckling the steering wheel, knowing that, you know, there was a message being left right then. And we got home, 
and I listened to the message and I, I, you know, holding my breath. And he said, yes, in the, in the phone, uh, on, on, on the voicemail, which I was glad I didn't have to wait until I called him back to hear what the answer would be because that would have been a terrifying phone call to make. Um, but I did call him back and he, um, he was so gracious about the book and, uh, he's been married for more than 50 years. And so that, as much as anything, I mean, I have such deep appreciation for him as a writer and as a pastor, but also, you know, to have somebody who's been married for more than 50 years uh, find something true and resonant in the book you've written about marriage when you've been married for 14 years, uh, that was also, um, that meant so much to me. And he used the word incredible in on the on the phone call. He said, it was incredible. And so I, I, I think that's my new favorite word. So... I wonder if you would take a moment and tell us a little bit about the process of writing. I know that everyone approaches writing differently, but I I struggle, and some listeners will know how deeply I struggle with my own writing. It's part of the reason why I'm on the radio. But when I read books like yours, I find that the voice of you as an author seems very effortless and very candid and very honest and I, I am aware from my own attempts to find that voice with myself that that's a real struggle to get to that place. So I wonder if you would just take a moment or two and talk about the process that you go through when you're writing a piece like this. Well, for the first few years that I was writing nonfiction, which I didn't write a whole lot of nonfiction in my 20s necessarily. I was writing poetry at that time. But whenever I tried to write nonfiction, I was always channeling Anne Lamott, that she's certainly one of my influences as a writer. So I, I did I did sort of my bad impression of Anne Lamott for a while. I actually think it was preaching for five years as a solo pastor. So preaching, writing and preaching a sermon every Sunday that was instrumental in helping me find my voice as a writer. I'm very much a manuscript preacher. And so even though I write differently when I'm writing a manuscript to be preached, you know, as, as an oral event and and writing for the page, uh, just the process of writing on deadline and needing to have, you know, something of substance to say and and needing, I, I've heard the definition of preaching that it's the gospel through personality. And so recognizing that who I am is has bearing on, on what I'll say in the pulpit. I learned a lot about writing and how to how to be a writer who can, you know, produce work and and have a, a point of view and a voice uh, from that process of preaching. And so, which is not to say, again, there's there's differences, but that was really formative for me. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with the Reverend Catherine Willis Pershey. We spoke to her in 2012 about her book, Any Day, A Beautiful Change, and we're talking to her today about her new book, Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. We'll be back in a moment. Hello, David Dalt here. You may be wondering why we take time out of the podcast to have these little minute-long breaks with the crazy music underneath. The answer is simple. We are trying to design the podcast so that it pays for itself, and so these are places where someday we will have some advertising. Now, let's say that you have been interested in getting into some sort of podcasting advertising platform where you want to promote your product. 
we would be a wonderful mid-market solution for you, uh, particularly if you want to reach an educated audience that really, really likes stuff about religion. Uh, so that's what this is here for. So if you would like to learn more about advertising with us, you can go to advertisecast.com or you can contact us through our website. We would love, love, love to work with you. Thank you always for listening. Okay, back to the show. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with the Reverend Catherine Willis Pershey. She's Associate Minister of the First Congregational Church in Western Springs, Illinois. In 2012, we spoke to her about her book, Any Day a Beautiful Change, and today she's back to speak to us about her new book, Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. So if I'm hearing you correctly, if a listener was wondering, well, how I want to write a book, I want to, to get involved in this process, it seems like the first piece of advice from what you just said is find yourself a gig where you're having to write on a regular basis and put it in front of people. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, and I the other piece I wrote a lot and put it in front of people was through my blog. For years, I, I had a blog and I wrote on it you know, a lot. And I don't write as many blog posts these days because I've been writing more extended projects. But that was also absolutely critical. I wrote a lot. I don't remember the the details. I think it's Malcolm Gladwell who talks about how many hours you have to spend doing something to master it. And I still have a long way to feel like I have actually mastered the art of writing. But I have spent a lot of time crafting words and then taking them apart again when they don't work out the first time and revising and learning learning through those different processes. But for me, having an audience is, and an external deadline is pretty helpful. If you were to classify this book, my sense so far in the, in the conversation is that you would not want to classify this as a self-help book, but instead would this be a spiritual reflection on marriage? Would this be a meditation on marriage? Would this be a Christian approach to marriage? How would you classify the genre of this book? It's funny. Last week I was at the Wick Poetry Center at Kent State University teaching a class on writing spiritual memoir, and I was feeling at the beginning of the week that I was not actually qualified to do so because I don't really think I've yet written a straight memoir. Any Day a Beautiful Change wasn't exactly straight memoir, and neither is Very Married. But then one of the early uh, reviews of an advanced reader copy said, well, this isn't exactly – this isn't a self-help book. It's really more of a memoir. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I am qualified to teach about memoir. I think it is personal narrative, theological reflection, and sort of cultural commentary. And I hope those three strands are woven together in a way that – that works. Uh, and But I, I do think it takes a sort of slant approach. It's not an advice book, but I deeply hope that it would actually be helpful to people and perhaps especially to people who might not pick up a more traditional book about marriage, uh, but who would be interested in a more literary spiritual approach. Well, and that leads me to want to ask sort of about the Christian aspect of this. So in addition to being very candid – about your own struggles in your marriage with Benjamin, you also bring in your experience as a person who is preaching the gospel on a regular basis, has studied the texts of scripture. And so there are points where that is front and center. And I, I wonder about the, the balancing and the, the, the bringing in of those voices from what are 
often in our culture a much more sort of traditionalist and shaming approach to mm-hmm. marriage and you you do a good job of balancing the candor and your own life experience against some of those more traditional voices and i just wonder what that process was like well uh, one thing i would i, I want to say is that i never write about church members unless i have permission to do so and so when i am telling other people's stories i, I there's there you know it has the sort of boilerplate at the beginning that names and details might be changed and there were a few places where i really felt the need to the confidentiality was so important that I felt the need to fictionalize, and I so I say that right from the start that that was that is so important to me as a pastor to maintain confidentiality. But that did allow me to broaden the scope of the book beyond my own uh, my own story. You know, the church has been involved in marriage for a long time. The history of marriage and the church is fascinating. And, and one of the books that I loved uh, in my, my research was by Stephanie Kuntz, I think is her name, Marriage, a History. And she details some of the ways the church has, for better or for worse, been intimately involved in this part of people's lives that's a very intimate thing. And the state is also involved in marriage. So there's it's a very complicated blend of personal, institutional, government. You know, there's a whole... The, the reason why marriage equality was such a, a significant movement was not only for the symbol of marriage, but also for the rights of marriage. There is a whole you know host of of legal benefits that come along with it. So I did think as a you know as a pastor, obviously one of the primary uh, sources of of what forms me and also what I wrestle with, if that makes sense is the biblical tradition and the historical church tradition. Now, I am part of a progressive Christian denomination. I, I was ordained in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and I serve in the United Church of Christ, which is really one of the most liberal Christian denominations. And meanwhile, the book is published by the Mennonite Church, which is a phenomenal tradition. I love the Peace Church tradition and is in a, a somewhat different place than the UCC on some of these issues. And so I also felt the need to say, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking for anyone. I'm not trying to represent any one of these traditions that I'm affiliated with, either through, you know, my denomination or through my publisher. I'm, I have to claim that I'm speaking for myself, but I'm formed by these and I'm wrestling with these. So I think that obviously the church has made grave mistakes in many areas of its work in the world. And, and yet at the same time, I think there's much to be redeemed and reclaimed in our tradition. Well, and I want to talk for a moment about the research that you did, because it was clear that you read a lot of books about marriage and they pop up at various points. And there are times when you when they pop up in, in the way you just mentioned with the Kuntz book and you say that it really it was fascinating. There, there are other times when you when you very politely distance yourself from some of the books. But I just wonder, what was it like going through that body of literature? What did you learn as you looked through all these different books on marriage? It was a little overwhelming. At a, and at a certain point, I had to not stop reading, but stop thinking that at some point I was going to become an expert on marriage because that was not my qualification to write this book. I am not a marriage and family therapist. I have seen a marriage and family therapist in past, in counseling with my husband, but I am not one myself. And so I had to find a way to incorporate that body of research 
but not let it overwhelm me so that I couldn't find my own voice in the midst of all that. My authority to write it was simply sort of my willingness to tell this story and to make some connections and hopefully to write it in a way that's engaging and transformative, but not ever from a sort of a perch from above making proclamations about what is and is not the appropriate way to be married. But there's a point late in the book where you you say that you feel that writing about marriage is almost a peculiar calling that you've been given, like a call to ministry mm-hmm. and, and those other sorts of things. So talk to me about the discerning of that particular calling. So so figuring out at some point, I'm supposed to be doing this mm-hmm. in some ways. I could not have done the work to do to write this book if I didn't feel called to it. That being said, part of the part of what I wanted to convey by acknowledging that this is a calling and this is a calling I do think I wrote the book hopefully to to be as I say transformative and helpful to people. But partially why I felt so called to do that is that I think it's when people talk honestly about their own marriages that that is so helpful to other people hearing stories having not models exactly sometimes it's a model of like what you don't want to be like but when friends sitting around a table can share honestly about what's going on in their lives i think as many marriages have been helped by by that as you know seeking professional help which is sometimes also very needed and very helpful but so it may well be that there are others who are called to to talk about right marriage and write about marriage in in a less sort of formal, you know, it doesn't end up bound at the end of the year kind of way, but that's a way to be supporting marriages is to be telling stories. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Catherine Willis Pershey. She's the author of the new book, Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. Well, you mentioned sitting around a table and, and sort of sharing stories. So uh, let's sort of explore that and, and go with that for a moment because one of the things that has impressed me with your writing both when I when I read Any Day a Beautiful Change several years ago and now coming back to this new book, Very Married, is that I see in some ways a parallel, a mirror, a solidarity with my own struggles. And so I'm a person who's been married now almost 10 years, but I came to that marriage late had lived a full life before that and had gotten used to being single and then suddenly had to share my life with a new person with a background that includes, you know, addiction, with a background that includes recovery, with a background that includes, you know, sort of fractured family relationships around those things. And so, you know, my my sense of my own experience of marriage has been that it's not you walk down the aisle and it's happily ever after. It's you walk down the aisle and then the real work begins. Mm-hmm. I saw that same kind of candor in what you were writing, but it must be difficult to to put that on the page. Is, is that fair to say? Certainly. And I mean, no, everybody always wants to come across well and writing this book, I mean, it would have been totally – it would have showed if I had just decided to like completely insert my husband under the bus and not you know, be willing to go under the bus myself. So telling some of those harder stories involves some real self-implication. Again, if I didn't feel that in, in telling the story and where, where it goes, there was some redemption in that, some, some value in that, I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't bother. I mean, what it comes down to it is this. There was a time shortly after Juliet was born, our older daughter, that I I really didn't think we were going to make it. And I could hardly imagine a future where we managed to stay together in a sort of threadbare marriage. And I never would have believed that we would have the marriage that we have now if you told me then. And so, um, you know, the, fir- <laughs> the title of my first book is Any Day a Beautiful Change. This is like, I mean, this is not volume two, but I still, I cling to that line and I cling to that process of that practice of looking for the beautiful changes and trusting that, you know, people will say, oh, people don't change. I, my husband and I have changed so much in the time that we've been married, in the last 10 years particularly. I don't believe that. I experienced a radical transformation of our relationship and such grace in that. I, I just, and so, so bearing testimony to that feels like a joyful, even though, so even though, yes, it's, it's about kind of showing your work, you know, you do the math and you show your work, but bearing testimony to how that has, what's come out of the willingness to do that work. It's a joyful thing. I actually, you know, I was sort of abashed about my first book. It was a little bit embarrassing to have written about myself. And, you know, I I was a first time author and sort of didn't know how to talk about it or promote it without feeling like I was promoting myself. I like this book so much and I'm so proud of it because of what it points to. It's a lot easier to say, yes, you should read my book this time because there's such joy in it. There's a story that you tell and it really resonated for me because I saw, again, myself and my own relationships in that story. And it's a it's a story of being out in, at one point, a boat and then boats, uh, canoes. And I wonder if you'd just quickly recap for us what that story was. Yes. Well, I think it was our fifth anniversary. We took a, a two-person kayak out into the Redondo Beach Harbor at the time we lived in California. And I've always loved – kayaking and we hadn't done much of it and as soon as we got out of the the harbor and into the open water Benjamin just panicked and was sort of struck by the fact of all of the water beneath us and that we were in this tiny little watercraft in a very large ocean 40 feet from shore but nevertheless it didn't work for him and meanwhile I was like completely loving it and was sort of irritated that he was cramping my style by wanting to immediately turn back to harbor. And and he looked at me and I was smiling and he totally thought I was laughing at him. And I wasn't laughing. I was just, I was enjoying it. I, I To this day, I swear I was not laughing at him. I was just thoroughly enjoying the day. And so, you know, we got into a, an ugly quarrel. And of course, you know, it's our fifth anniversary. You're not supposed to fight on your anniversary. And once again, we are celebrating another year of marriage by having an argument. And so we go back and we, you know, paddle around in the harbor. We return the, the kayak and it kind of just, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a memory. It was a very vivid memory that stuck with us. Well, so then we, we, we now go to a camp uh, up in Wisconsin, Camp Highlands. We go, it's a boys camp, but then the last week of the year they do family camp and we take the girls. And uh, he and I were out in a kayak. Now, we've made the the proclamation that we have to be in two kayaks. Like, we are not meant to, you know, constitutionally, we are meant for two two kayaks, not one. And we ended up getting far from shore and didn't realize that the wind had been behind us. And so when we turn around, we're, it's very hard work to come back into the shore. And I wanted 
so badly as my back is aching and my arms are burning to just be back in the kayak with him and to to let let him be the one to get us back to shore. And so, you know, there was a question, should I make it more clear that like I'm arguing for two people in one kayak? And I'm really not. Like some people are better off in two kayaks. I didn't mean for it to become a sort of proclamation of how it should be done. But for us, we've, we're ready to be back in the same kayak. The couple things that I got from that story, one was my wife and I talk a lot about kind of being in each other's corner and making sure that we're on each other's side. And we work hard to communicate that to each other, but we don't always do a great job of that. But that mm-hmm. it seems like at, at that moment when Benjamin, your husband, thought that you were laughing at him, that was a, a moment of the breakage of that of mm-hmm. that connection. But then also another thing that my wife and I have done is is we create we create patterns and protocols to sort of allow us to live mm-hmm. under the same roof. And what I loved about about that story was you know, you didn't live in the romantic notion that that you have to be in the same kayak. You allowed yourself the space to be in different kayaks. Mm-hmm. That to me seemed brilliant. I just mm-hmm. seemed like that's such a that's such a good, honest solution. There are certain times when we won't be able to share the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the the other place that that really struck me was was around your husband's recovery and mm-hmm. the notion of of the the differing approaches that you've been able to come to with regard to intoxicants. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's an important piece too. And I wonder if, if you, if you're willing, mm-hmm. and certainly you don't have to, but if you're willing to just say um, for a moment about kind of what that that balance has been like. Mm-hmm. Well, so I had mentioned the John Mellencamp concert that my husband went to the night before our first date, and that was also the last time he drank. And so he's coming up on 15 years of sobriety at this point. And so our relationship and his recovery were just inextricably intertwined from the start in some ways that, you know, people might say, well, that's a little bit dysfunctional, you know, a little bit codependent. And I, for the first eight years of our relationship, didn't drink because it was just a way to be in solidarity with him, to support him in his recovery. And at that point in our marriage, we had we had become kind of enmeshed and, and didn't really know where one of us started and the other one stopped and we needed to to have a, a truer intimacy. We really needed to have more of a sense of who we were as individuals. And so it, not that it was, you know, that's why I started to drink again, but that was something that I wanted to do. I mean, I didn't have issues with alcohol in the same way that he did. And it, there was a process of, of him sort of slowly realizing he didn't need me to not drink with him anymore. And so, I, you know, I started to drink a little bit. You know, I'm, I've discovered a love for craft beer. I'm, Hefeweizen is my favorite currently. And um, just, I mean, it, it just was a process of realizing that that he didn't need to lean on me in the same way anymore. And I had a freedom that I had willingly given up. And, you know, we had changed in that time together, our needs had changed, and 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 so it just sort of entered a new new era in our relationship. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with the Reverend Catherine Willis Pershy about her new book, Very Married: Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. We'll be back in a moment. Hello, Dave Dalt here. Earlier in the show, I talked about podcast monetization through advertising. But let's say that you, as a listener, don't have anything to sell right now, but you still want to support Things Not Seen. We can make that happen. 
Here's how it works. You could go to our thingsnotseenradio.com website or csec.org and make a one-time donation. It would be tax deductible, and that would be wonderful. But you can also support us on an ongoing basis through a platform called Patreon. Now, here's how that works. You set the amount, $1, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever an episode of Things Not Seen is worth to you. And every time that we release a new episode, you would be charged on your credit card for that amount. You set it. You set how long you do it. It's completely up to you, but it really would help us. So please go to our website or go to patreon.com and set it up. And we thank you always for listening. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with the Reverend Catherine Willis Pershey. We spoke to her in 2012 about her book, Any Day, A Beautiful Change, and she's back today to speak to us about her new book, Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. So it seems like you mentioned regular sermon preaching and blogging, but now two books, it seems like there's going to be more books in the pipeline. Are you currently thinking about a new project or are you? Yes, I have another book under contract. Uh, and so I'm, I've kind of have been in a like cover my hands with my ears and just say, la, 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 la. I don't want to think about that one yet because I am not ready at all to, um, to start on that one. But it is, it is under contract. And so I know there will be, at least there's supposed to be legally another book coming. So, and I, I will work, start working on that probably this fall. So before we left for the break, we were talking about the creation of differing spaces within a marriage partnership. So we talked about what it was like to be in one canoe, what it was like to be in two canoes. And then you shared with us what that process is like around your husband's recovery from alcoholism and how there's an image actually from Any Day of Beautiful Change where you talk about having your your hand in your husband's hand and your other hand around the stem of a wine glass. It's a, it's a beautiful image because it speaks to I'm here with you in your recovery. I'm also living my life that is not, your word, codependently tied mm-hmm. up in your recovery. Do you ever preach about that? Is this part of your ministry life, sort of sharing these pieces with your congregation? Benjamin actually preached about his recovery journey when we were in California. It was the one time he preached. We we often would have, well, not often, but occasionally would have lay members preach. And that felt like his story to tell. I've told it from my perspective. But certainly because we've both been open to about that part of our story, it's not uncommon at all for people to come to either one of us to, to talk if they have, have issues about that. I don't know that I've ever preached about that particular piece of our story, but it's certainly been a part of my ministry. Well, and again, if, if this if this becomes something that is too personal, we certainly don't have to go here. But let, let me put a personal piece on the table and then and sort of see how we want to navigate it. So my mother was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and I have I have lived a good portion of my adult life in a recovery situation. I'm, I hope I'm not violating any, any of the traditions by saying that I am involved in 12-step and mm-hmm. that that's, that's a large part of why I'm here and functional. My, my wife knows that. As my children, who are four and six, are getting older, they're aware of that. Mm-hmm. And I've spoken to them very frankly about, about what it was like to live with my mother and why sometimes I have triggers and weird spaces and angry spaces. That's a part of how our marriage works, my wife and I, our children. 
And my recovery is very much a part of conversation within our marriage and within our parenting. But I realize that my situation is just one situation among many. If you're, if you're willing, how do you and Benjamin balance that? Because your children are a little older, older than mine, but it seems like they're of an age where those kind of conversations could happen. Do they happen? And if they do, why? And if they don't, why not? Well, you know, regarding the alcohol, the girls know that daddy doesn't drink, you know, and they they know that, I mean, I think we might have phrased it that, you know, he, it was almost like he was allergic to it. It just, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't good for him. And too much is not good for anyone. You know, we've, we've had some basic conversations about that. And so they know, they know, I mean, they know on a sort of five-year-old level, eight-year-old level, um, that that's why. Part of what Benjamin has struggled with in the years since, you know, he stopped drinking is having to grapple with the what got him there in the first place, to, so to speak. And some of his struggles with, um, he can still get into sort of darker moods. And that more than alcoholism has been something that we've navigated together as a family. I also, because I am unwilling to throw Benjamin under the bus without joining him there, struggle with anxiety. And so we both can cycle through difficult moments and in ways that affect our family. You know, we were just, when we were in Ohio, we went on a a hike in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park and ended up on a much steeper hike than we expected. And, you know, there were relatively steep sides. I mean, in my mind, they get steeper and steeper, like the fish gets bigger. The We're, we're now, you know, picture us on, this, on the side of a cliff. Um, and I was I was absolutely panicked. And, you know, I felt guilty because my eight-year-old is turning around and saying, it's okay, mama, I'll hold your hand. <laughs> and in the same way, Ben has struggled with, you know, sort of irritability when he's feeling out of sorts. And so we've had to talk with the girls about the ways that we, as their parents, but also as just you know, people who have big feelings, we talk about big feelings in our family a lot, try to help them understand that that we go through these and, you know, sometimes it means it entails apologizing. Sometimes we have to kind of prod one another to apologize to the girls later if we've, if one of our sort of episodes of anxiety or irritability has, has affected them. You know, I kind of killed the fun on that walk. My apologies. And so, uh, you know, we're just, we're so we're open about emotion in our family in a way that I think is very healthy. I mean, it'd be great if we were more perfect and didn't, you know, get so cranky with them sometimes or so anxious about, you know, safety or whatnot. But as it is, we are, you know, deeply imperfect people who can can apologize. And I think our our willingness to be open has has given them some real emotional intelligence as children. And that's what I love so much about that answer is that I think I come from an era, I grew up in the 1970s, where marriages had to look perfect on the outside. And I think my parents, who ultimately divorced, struggled under the weight of that. They were not perfect. They were broken people. And the attempt not only to deal with their brokenness, which they didn't do very well, but then also to hide the fact that they were constantly dealing with their brokenness ended up you know, making a bad situation worse. The thing that I like about the answer that you just gave is that not every hike in the Cuyahoga Valley is going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And yet, in the midst of that hike, something good and meaningful can come that is still growing the marriage and the relationships Mm -hmm. there. 
And I think just the ability to say to someone who's close to you, I'm not handling this well right now. That has become so important to us. The ability to say to one another, I'm having a hard time. And we have, that is how we are in the same metaphorical kayak now and on the same team in a way that we did not used to be able to. We were adversaries. We, if he was in a bad mood, I took it totally personally, which is bananas. And now we develop this vocabulary of I'm having a hard time right now. You know, I'm, I'm struggling. And, and we've, we've become people who can lean on one another when we need to. He feels like this solid person now in a way that I didn't used to feel like I could just kind of fling myself at him and know that he was going to catch me because we were both just struggling so much with our own issues. And now we, we're taking turns leaning on each other in a way that is glorious. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with the Reverend Catherine Willis Pershey. We spoke to her in 2012 about her book, Any Day a Beautiful Change, and she's back today to talk to us about her new book, Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity. When we think about Christianity, particularly more liturgical Christianity, marriage becomes a guiding metaphor. So the church is the bride of Christ. We talk about the ways in which Israel is betrothed to Yahweh in the Old Testament and oftentimes is falling off into like wantonness and and infidelity. So what you've just said in the last few minutes about the kind of struggle and constant presence that marriage requires and the, the attempt to get to the point where you're in the same kayak. What can that teach us about this metaphor for the church, this guiding metaphor that we use? Because I think oftentimes Christians look at, well, the, the church is the bride of Christ and that means we should be sort of complacently happy and, again, you walk down the aisle and everything is roses – but if the church is really the bride of Christ, then if marriage is what we're saying that it is in this conversation, that's a real struggle. Am I catching that right? Mm-hmm. And so as a, as a minister, as a person who, who works with a congregation, as a person who, you know, in my Catholic tradition, you would be considered in some ways betrothed to this work, how can we learn from the real honesty about marriage and the real way that marriage, you know, is a, is a, daily, is a daily task? in terms of thinking about the care of souls? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a the comic, David Hayward. Do you know David Hayward's work? He, he's a, a cartoonist. And he has a cartoon with all these people coming into a church and taking a smiley face. They're sad. I mean, their real faces are sad, but then they take a smiley face before they walk into the church. And just as you said a few minutes ago, that there's been a pressure for marriages to appear perfect. I mean, there's also a pressure for People to you know put their best face forward to fake it in church, and that you know going to church on a Sunday morning is above all else a sign of sort of respectability. It gives you a certain level of clout in the community, or you know you're you're a good person because you're there, what or whatnot. And I think allowing the church to be a space where people can be honest with one another and talk about the things that are really going on in their lives, and then have a true community that can then grow in faith together in relationship with God as a community. If we're just about pretense and respectability, you know, we're not being a faithful church. There, it's interesting to me that 
it's like the metaphor is the parallel is far richer than we we let on. I actually have not heard a whole lot of emphasis on the church as the bride of Christ and, you know, the older um, Hebrew Bible tradition of Israel as the, the bride. I mean, obviously, it's there it, throughout Scripture, you know, the book of Hosea and, and whatnot. But that's never really been emphasized too much in my theological education or in, in the ways that I've been formed to engage with Scripture. And in the last couple of years, the richness of that metaphor has really come out to me. Even the way we talk about fidelity and faithfulness, being faithful to your spouse, being faithful to God. I mean, there's there's so much more there than we are willing to explore usually, I think. And part of what was an eye-opener for me was when I did have a run-in with temptation, which I write about in the book and was really the, the impetus, the original article that had been published in the Christian Century was about that sort of brush with temptation. The thought of being unfaithful to my husband was so profoundly disturbing to me. It not only opened my eyes to what fidelity and marriage meant, but also in a, in a, I guess, a roundabout way, helped me understand more about what fidelity and infidelity in our relationship to God means. Well, and you mentioned at one point in the book that this has been a journey for you. And uh, you mentioned a conversation with, I don't know whether she's another pastor or just a, a female friend, but a person who has a very sort of progressive notion about relationships and that it's not necessary to have marriage, to have proper sexual mm-hmm. relations and all. Forgive me if I've misremembered this, but it seemed like there was a point where you said to this friend of yours, you know, I've almost come to a place where I feel like the proper expression of sexuality is within a marriage. And you, you sort of felt your friend kind of recoil from that. And I realize that's a very nuanced place that you got to. But I first of all, have I do I recall that correctly from what you wrote? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the, the chapter where I do write about, you know, in part premarital sexuality, premarital sex, it, that's the chapter that seems to have gotten me in trouble with my liberal friends and my conservative friends because I don't come out in a place of – very progressive liberal Christianity that finds its basis in ethics about mutuality and and marriage being sort of not a sufficient uh, what's the word I, I never I, I don't remember my ethics vocabulary as well as I should it's not a sufficient condition and there are other ways there are other conditions where sex can be you know perfectly acceptable sans marriage. And I struggle with that, but I also don't end up towing a traditional, well, the Bible says and therefore kind of logic. I mean, really what it ends up being is is an exploration of the pain. There's an inherent instability when sex happens outside of marriage, with outside of the security and the covenant. I mean, really, we haven't talked about covenant yet. If we're going to talk about <laughs> marriage and the Bible and all of those sort of parallels and metaphors, covenant, covenant allows, not that sex is always right within marriage. I mean, obviously, historically, there has been, you know, great misuse of um, and sexual abuse and, um, and assault within marriage. I mean, marriage doesn't make everything okay. And yet at the same time, in my experience, marriage has been the place where I have been able to experience freedom and safety and intimacy and so many good things that were just unavailable without that covenant. 
And so if we're then to look ahead and to extend this, the ideas in this book, Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity, how could a person come to this book and utilize it not as a self-help book but instead as a, as a book to – Am I, am I hearing you correctly that it's an, it's more of an invitation simply to be honest about their own space and journey and condition? So here's my story, says Reverend Catherine mm-hmm. Willis-Pershey. Think deeply about your own. Is that a right reading of this or is there some other task that a mm-hmm. reader should think about when coming to this book? I mean I think at the heart that is what I hope for, that it inv- invites others to reflect about their own relationships. But I hope also – I mean I, I think about some of the things people have said to me almost in passing about, you know, how something works in their marriage that I have just clung to and have become actual practical wisdom that I've put to use in a very pragmatic way in my own relationship. So I think, I mean, I think part of it is the invitation to to think deeply about one's own relationships, but also I hope, and some of it's, you know, my wisdom and some of it is what I'm I've overheard, so to speak, and have brought in from other sources, um, whether books or friends, whatnot. I hope there's also a lot there that will stay with people. Well, Catherine Willis-Pershey, I always enjoy reading your work, and it's always such a pleasure to sit down and talk to you. Thank you for taking a few minutes to be with us today. Thank you so much, and likewise, it is a great pleasure to talk to you as well. We've been speaking today with the Reverend Catherine Willis-Pershey. She's the author of Any Day, A Beautiful Change, which is a book that we talked about in 2012. You'll be able to go back on our website and hear that interview, and I encourage you to do so. She's Associate Minister at the First Congregational Church in Western Spring, Illinois. Her work appears in The Christian Century, The Art of Simple, and in the anthology Disquiet Time. She and her husband, Benjamin, whom she writes about, have two daughters, and they live together in Western Springs. She's the author of Very Married, Field Notes on Love and Fidelity, which has just come out. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC, with the support of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club here in the Chicago Loop. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. David Dalt engineered the show. Kim Tron and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badenoch. Katie Scroggin is our senior producer. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Seen Radio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about upcoming guests. That's Facebook.com slash Things Not Seen Radio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and learn more about our guests if you visit us on the web at ThingsNotSeenRadio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.